0: Welcome, it's my, I'm the, for those who, I think most of you know who I am, but I'm Mike Sklo, and it's my pleasure and privilege to welcome you here again to the second in our Hanukkah series, Hanukkah series, and um, uh, just if there's anybody here, I'm just going to repeat it, if you're not on our, either our WhatsApp group or our email mailing list, Please fill in and uh, we'll add you you to the list. Um, When I was thinking of how to introduce Rabbi Schaefer, I was reminded of a course that I did many, many years ago in vision therapy. That definitely wasn't on the course. <laughs> and um, the reason why I'm saying this is, you know, I, 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 my wife and I have listened to a couple of Rabbi Sheffar Shurim. And um, I, was remind, I, was, I was reminded of the course in vision therapy because the presenter said to us, if you'll excuse the expression, I'm going to introduce you to some heresy. And meaning that he was going to challenge convention. He was going to challenge the, the conventional way of how we approach vision therapy. And in listening to Rabbi Schaefer's Shurim, he strikes me as being one of those who's not scared to challenge convention. He's not scared to, to go a little bit upstream or against the stream, but he backs everything up with, with chazal. And that's what makes his Shurim so exciting. And... Um, we have the pleasure of having him daven with us every morning, and uh, he strengthens our, our, our minion, and he just gives us hisuk by, by davening with us, and uh, it's my privilege and my pleasure to ask him to address us.
1: Okay. ertov good evening. Thank you, Mike. It was a, uh, uh, I don't think I've ever been called a heretic before, but I suppose <laughs> maybe it was coming. Um But seriously, uh, I want to thank everybody for being here. Um, A dedication I want to make um, for those who come from London who may have known uh, Rabbi Dr. Irving Jacobs, the chronologue Rocha, really the unsung hero of Anglo Jewry in in terms of English Jewry. Uh, Someone who was a teacher in the college known as Jews College. Unfortunate name, but that's what it was called. Uh, What I call it, the Mini YU. and taught, even taught Jonathan Sachs, and taught a lot of other people at, over the years, and passed away two years ago at Erev and I just want to dedicate this year in his memory. Um, this evening, what we're going to do, uh, as uh, Mike has said, like maybe challenging convention, or possibly uh, going into subjects which are not so conventional, I have to say that uh, I spent four years in Gateshead in England, and then three years in uh, Kolal in Neret Israel, and uh, the first topic I'm going to talk about never came up in any discussion ever. I heard it in a shir later on in London, uh, and it blew my mind. I really was a bit shocked that it never been mentioned at any time during the yeshiva studies. Um, basically, what we're going to do, we're going to do, uh, look at two uh, very serious questions, uh, first, I have to apologize to Winston Churchill for borrowing his famous phrase, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Uh, many of you, I hope some of you will know at least, that that's referring to anybody? Who was he talking about when he said he had a wonderful turn of phrase, Winston Churchill? What a great man. Um, referring to Russia, believe it or not, still applies. Today, in the year 2022, a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. What a way of putting it. Uh, something for you to think about. Um, Hanukkah is definitely a holiday we're very comfortable with. right? Uh, I think we've, we have this comfort zone of dealing with Hanukkah. And, la- and, and two weeks ago, Rabbi Khan already pushed us a bit out of that comfort zone. I'm going to push you a little bit more. Um, the way I see it is... Uh, I'm going to share with you a story. This, again, I heard from Rabbi Sachs many years ago. He did a number of conferences in London, and he introduced one of the conferences with this great story, which I'm sure you all know, uh, about two yeshiva guys living in Bnei Brak, uh, high-tech yeshiva guys, right? This is a concept which maybe exists today. I think it does. And they decided they were going to make a car which ran on ruchnis. It ran on spiritual commands. And the car was amazing. There it is, sitting outside the base medrash. And it ran on two commands. When you wanted to go, you got in the seat, held the steering wheel, and you said, Boruch Hashem, and the car, pfft, the car goes off. Amazing. And when you want it to stop, you say the word Omain, screech of the brakes, maybe in Israel, I suppose it does screech over here, and boom, the car stops. Fabulous! And this went round, Barak. You don't need internet, B'nai Barak because things go around quicker by word of mouth than even by the computer. It's amazing, and everybody knew. And Reb and Reb Chaim, and everybody comes to see this amazing car. And of course, one of the great rabbanim, he wants to give it a whirl. He wants, you know, he wants to see this. Is, he heard about it's car amazing. So the uh, the two guys said, "Rebbe, you can do it. No problem. Just remember." When you say, Baruch Hashem, it goes. And when you say, Omein, it stops. Don't forget. He gets in the car and he says, he's holding the wheel. he goes, Baruch Hashem. And there it goes. It starts running. And it's running and it's running. And he's out of B'nei Barak, uh, heading towards the coast, you know, not very far from uh, where they are. And the car picks up speed and, you know, goes 20, 30, talking about kilometers, 40, 50. And he decides it's time maybe to end the demonstration and he says, Amen. Oi, nothing happens. And he thought maybe he didn't say it loud enough. So he says another Amen. He says it with a bit more kavana. And still nothing happens. And already it's up to 60, and he's doing seven. Oi, it's beginning to get really, really serious. And he summons all of his because He can see he's coming to a cliff. And what's going to be? And, he, and, he, and, he's, and he's intense. And he says that fantastic, oh, And the car screeches to a halt one inch before the cliff. He sits back in the seat and he says, Boruch Hashem. (laughs) It's a great story. Not true. Possibly 2022 it can happen. We've got a comfort zone where we sit back in our seat. And we talk about Hanukkah, and we say, Baruch Hashem, I've heard it all before. I've heard about the, the, how to light the candles, which direction, which, which candle first, and whether it's got to be oil or can I use wax. And all of the stuff that we've heard maybe for many, many moons. And I don't denigrate it. On the contrary, it's fabulous, wonderful. Hanukkah is such an, uh, it's an uplifting time, especially when it uh, feels like, uh, I would say in London, this would be September temperature, even though it's December. I'm not dreaming of a white Hanukkah this year. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not. The reality of it is, that Chanukah, there is a comfort zone which we need to move out of. And in two specific areas. One which I said is very well known, but the first area which is not so well known. And Rabbi Khan mentioned it a few weeks ago, the question of Chanukah not being in the Mishnah. It's a pile ploy. And We sit back and even if we heard the question, well, you know, not such a problem because it's not halachic. Why do I need to deal with it? It's for the scholars, for the academics. But it should bother all of us. We know that the Mishnah was composed around the year 200 of the common era. Rebbe, Rabbeinu HaKadosh, edited the Mishnah, redacted the Mishnah, all different words that we use. Unbelievable how he did it. And again, many, many books if you want to read about that. But there's one big glaring something's missing. There's an incredible uh, holiday which doesn't feature. And that's the holiday of Chanukah. I've got Mishnah Sukkah, and I've got Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, I've even got Mishnah Megillah. So I've got a, a rabbinic holiday mentioned in the Mishnah. Chanukah, Nishtu. It's not to be found. Fa- well, not quite. There's this great story in Mishnah Babakama, I think it is, where the poor guy with the camel, Right? If you ever, every time I go to the old city, I always think of this, because you see these guys running around with donkeys, piled up with stuff. So, you know, in Etis, you put your Hanukkah out in the street, or in the front yard, or whatever, and the story is, a shopkeeper, he was lighting candles outside his store, and the Hanukkah is burning, along comes uh, uh, Abdul with his camel, and you know, the camel, but probably was Moshe, whoever he was, and the camel, you know, the stuff on the camel sort of catches fire from the Hanukkah lights. That's a Mishnah. And the Mishnah talks about who's liable, who's responsible, who's not responsible. It's a whole discussion. But that is not Hilchas Chanukah. That's Hilchas Nesek. That's to do with damages. The example is from Chanukah. But is why, or very simply, why is there no Masechet Chanukah? And I'm going to share with you some answers which are truly mind-blowing. As Mike pointed out, I don't like to say things off the top of my head. I always like to show that there is a source. Even though the source is very challenging, um, let's have a look. For instance, here I've got. We're not going to get through all of this. I don't want to put everybody off by saying we're going to be here till three o'clock in the morning because you see so many sources. This is to take away, you know, something for you to to look at during Hanukkah. I, I hope it's um, you know readable and, and and able. You're able to access it and look at it. Um, just want to give you a little bit of a range of of ideas. The um, First idea, which (laughs) is mind-blowing, is a comment from Yosef Cairo. Yosef Cairo, uh, let me put it this way. We're going to go on a trip this evening. Um, He just got a wonderful email about the trip coming up and uh, it's a wonderful thing that uh, one one goes to discover Eretz Israel through this group. I think it's a phenomenal idea. And we are having a teal this evening around the world. We are going from country to country, in terms of understanding and uh, getting into this subject that we're talking about, the first subject of why Hanukkah is not in the Mishnah, and then later on with part two. We start off with the Yosef Kar. we go up to Tzvat, we're around the year 1500, 1520, and unbelievable story, the Sefer that he wrote, many wrote the Shulchan but one of the Sevarim which is attributed to him is called Magid Meisharim. Magid Meisharim, I, I don't know how to tell you about this, if you don't know about it, as I'm, some of you, I'm sure, do. When he used to go to sleep at night, he was so oseg Torah, uh, his mind was so taken up with Torah, that he had a chavrusa even while he was asleep. The chavrusa was, the, was a malach, an angel. An angel came to him and told him, Chidushet Torah, unbelievable. And he woke up in the morning and he wrote it all down. And, and this went on, I don't know how many, how many uh, years this went on. It was written in a book, Magid Meisharim. And <laughs> it's unbelievable that uh, the book does exist. Pop down the road to uh, Bodin Elit, one of the bookstores there. Uh, you probably could buy it even today, I'm sure it's available. And he writes the following, this is number one on the sheet. Uh, third line down, V'tam ha'davala pirsumam bizman mishnah, he says, "There's no masechet Hanukkah because everybody knows it." <laughs> By the time the Mishnah came along, let's put the history, the date, into perspective. Hanukkah 165 to sorry, 167 to 165 BCE, and you've got the Mishnah 200 CE. So you do the math: 200 plus 165, 365 years—a long time. So. He argues, says Rabbi Yosef that by the time they got to the Mishnah, to the days of Rabbi, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, 365 years, they all know what to do. They don't need... Excuse me. They don't need Mishnah Chanuk, which I don't understand as an answer. It really doesn't make sense to me, because you know, throughout sixty-five years we've had sukkahs for for by then probably for you know get, getting on for a th- thousand plus years, and we still need the Mishnah Sukkah. We still need how to know how high it is, how wide it is, what all the different inyonim. It's a very difficult answer. Number one, I leave you to look at it. Uh, it it's it's strange. A separate. Uh, solution, which uh, is where things get really, really complicated, uh, and again, I don't want to go into this in great detail, is the whole concept of, uh, it's in fact a tradition which the Vrnugom, uh, uh, reported, that certain Masechda were lost. He claims, Vunagon claims that there was a Masechda called Masech, Masechet emuna. I would love to have seen it. A whole section of Mishnah dealing with Emuna, presumably dealing with matters of faith, of belief, and it was lost. So the Vernagon in that uh, tradition. Now we've moved to Lithuania, so you know we've gone from Svat, bang into Eastern Europe. The Vernagon tells us, uh, in fact, this is uh, reported by his nephew. Um, his great nephew, according to this, this, what I what I found here, uh, this number two, va'amali ech she'shoma, Meagom reina rabbi lioz zau shahoyu kama v'kama masecho masechto should be al ha midot kama masechet masechta anova there was a there was a tractate for, for modesty or humility wow uh, where is it I wish we could see it u'masechta bitachon and a tractate dealing with the matters of trust faith in God u'kadame rach she nevda mimenu it's lost and. That's the, so the Vilna God would, would say, according to this, that Hanukkah did have a drag day. There was a Masechah Hanukkah lost. And this is also found in number three, that there is an even more interesting suggestion, Not, I don't think it comes from the Vilna Gon, who says that this was actually written down as a series of Mishnayot by Hillel and Shammai. Now again, learning the laws of Hanukkah, you can't avoid the famous, famous argument. Hilal and Shammai, you would walk down a street in Modi'in. It's all happening around here. This is unbelievable being in Modi'in and Hanukkah. It's my first year here. You know, it's one of the great places to be. Uh, the place to be, I would say, in Hanukkah. And what happens is, you they, they go back 2,000 years. You're walking down whatever, Emek Dotan in those days. House number one, on the second night of Hanukkah, seven candles burning. How, next house along, two candles burning. Why is that going on? We know because the first house was a Beit Shammai or a Shammai follower. And he was of the opinion, you go eight, seven, six, five, four, you count down. Whereas according to the second house on the street, he follows Hillel, you go up 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 till you get to number 8 perfect. And that again is interesting that the suggestion is both Hillel and Shammai got together they corroborated together to write Masechet Chanukah. fascinating. And again what this is all bound up with a whole discussion about something called Megillah Tani I really don't, again a bit too academic and I don't want to get into it but I've got it on the page here and please do your Diligence, if you want to look at this, it really is interesting, but not for this evening. It's a bit too academic. But I come to the number four, and I'm in awe. I, I'll talk about him literally for one minute, Reb Reb is Livrocha. If you've never heard of him, he was a, a, he was a librarian, let's be honest. That's what he did. He came to Israel, I don't know, probably, maybe even in the 30s, I think before the war, uh, and he became a librarian. I think the, the Sifriata Rambam, if there is such a thing, somewhere in Ertzis, or maybe in Haifa, I don't know where it was, and that was his job. He was the librarian. It happened that he was the librarian that you'll never meet in a hundred years because he read every book that he got his hands on. So the library, and it was a, I think it was a, a, a Torani library, if I'm not mistaken, every book in the library he read. And not only had he read, but he knew it by heart. This was a man with a phenomenal mind. And not only did he know all this stuff by heart, but he started writing his own books. I'm not exaggerating when I say that this man wrote over 150 sforin. Some of them very small, some of them incredibly detailed. The yeshiva guys know the Sefer uh, on Masechet Sanhedrin. It's very, very well used in yeshivot. But there's, there's, he wrote books on names of angels. He wrote books on, on commentary, honor a commentary. and unbelievable, really unbelievable man, Rebuvi Margolis, passed away in 1971, not so long ago. He says something about Hanukkah which is phenomenal. Uh, let's put it like this. We've got to come to terms with, as I said, get out of our comfort zone when it comes to our, the enemies of Israel. We talk about Hanukkah, we talk about the Nim, we talk about the Hellenists, you know, we know all about that. But we go to the days of Rebbe, and there we're talking about the Romans. And the Romans, we know, were not particularly nice people, they were really not nice people. Uh, but there's a bit of a misconception And the misconception is that they weren't rabid anti-Semites every moment of every day of the year. They did become very anti the people that they had conquered in one situation, which is always referred to in in the history books, is a situation of rebellion. As soon as you rebelled against the Romans, you were in big trouble. That's when they brought the armies, and they brought the extra armies. That's the rebellion that destroyed the Beit HaMiknash. 66 uh, CE, the the, the, uh, the and Gittin talks about it, the Birionim, and all the people got together, and they started trying to push out the Roman uh, invasion of, of Judea, of Eretz Israel. And by 70, the, the temple was destroyed. The interesting thing, says Rebruvich, is that the Romans not only kept track of rebellion, but they also kept track of what we would nowadays say literary rebellion. If they saw the people that were under their jurisdiction writing about uh, subjects which suggested that we're going to break away from the, from, from the surroundings, we're going to uh, uh, declare independence, UDI, we're going to uh, the, the Declaration of Independence. Then the Romans will start getting antsy. The, the, that's an American word for getting a bit uncomfortable. And the next thing you know, you've got a Roman, uh, uh, they, they come along and they squash the rebellion. What they look at see as a rebellion. Or, worst case scenario, they destroy everything in their part. Says the Rubin, and he said something which I think is phenomenal. He said that in Mishnah, you'll find there are certain things, not only Hanukkah is missing. Try and find Mishnah to There's no Mishnah to fill There's a lot of Gemara, Gemara Menachas, and there's, there's pages and pages of it. But Mishnah, nothing. Almost nothing. And then you look for Mishnah tzitzes, not that. And he says, not only that, I think he says also, yeah, uh, um, let's just see what he's talking about over here. Things which are, again, part of Tereshaba Pair which would be considered anti-Roman. So, for instance, why is there no Mishnah Tefillin? Why is there no Mishnah of Tzitzit? Because Rabbeinu has realized that if he starts writing, editing, bringing together ideas about the, the, uh, the Jewish style of dress, the unique style of dress, the fact that uh, people would wear tefillin all day. I was in the old city on Friday. People walking around with tefillin. Something which seems to be coming, you know, maybe a, uh, a renewal of something which, which, which uh, yechidim. I remember going to Scheinberg and uh, he was sitting there in tefillin uh, 30 years ago. But uh, see, many people in the street in the old city walking around tefillin. It was very interesting. The reality of it is, this becomes not just something that they wore for doubling, They wore it the whole time. It was Jewish dress. And obviously, tzitzit. And there are many other things which are missing from the Mishnah because Rebbe understood by editing the Mishnah and putting those things into the Mishnah, the Romans would get the wrong message. That the Jews are declaring a kind of independence of dress. And what comes next is an independence of behavior. They want to have their own government. Then they want to have their own army. The Romans did not wait around for rebellion to take place. They They would nix it. They would stop it immediately says are moving the same thing with Hanukkah. It's so interesting. Hanukkah, in the end of the day, represents the ultimate Jewish rebellion. Ma'atim, we know that what happened, so many people came against us, the armies of Greece and the Mithyavnim, and Rav talks about this, and I didn't want to go into this, because it was a bit, uh, <laughs> I know it, it was a bit upsetting from two weeks ago to find out that yeah, the Hanukkah is about a civil war. Much more than about Greeks versus the Jews, Rabbi Salavich says something phenomenal. He says in the Alanisim, we don't say there's one phrase missing. We have we have Zaydim this and Shoyim biyad this. He says there's one phrase missing. Yevoni biyad Yudim doesn't say that. Greeks into the hands of the Jews, because he says the reality was the main fight was not Yevanim, neged Yudim. It was Yudim neged Yudim. It was Jew against Jew. And therefore, it doesn't put that in the Alanissim, it's talking about the war, it doesn't mention that the uh, uh, Yuvonim were, were given over, the Greeks were given over to the Jews. Because much more focused, that prayer is focused more about what was really going on, which unfortunately was Jew against Jew. But I don't want to go into that because we had a taste of that a few weeks ago, and that, that is something I want to leave... Uh, how should we say? We're getting too far out of our comfort zone if we start talking about that. I want to go back to what Reb Reuben says because <laughs> it's so beautiful. Um, it's right at the bottom in the, in the Hebrew, the last three lines on the bottom of the page. And again, I just want to give you a taster. This is like being at a smorgasbord. You're tasting all the different elements here. I'm not, I can't go into great detail on all of them, but I want to give you a kind of round picture of where the rabbis were going with this particular discussion. Again, Reb Reuben, We've traveled back to Eretz Yisrael via, he must, he must have come from Eastern Europe, I don't know where. And he writes beautifully at the bottom, just to say, uh, actually let's just turn over the page, to so page 2 of the handout, uh, uh, just where, uh, yeah, he's the second line in the middle of the line, he says, He says, <laughs> So, why did Rebbe miss out all of these important elements in our Jewish, uh, life of keeping Torah? You'll say to me that there is Purim in the Mishnah. He is very interesting. He says that the things that were missed out by, by Rabbi, Hanukkah, Tzvilim, Sitzes, and a whole bunch of other things that he lists there, they were considered political by the Romans. Acts which would be politically motivated, which would lead possibly to rebellion, and the Romans didn't want to hear of it. And therefore, Rebbe, as a kind of um, protection of the Jewish people, decided not to include Hanukkah in the Mishnah. It's a wow. It's a wow. Again, if I'd said that off my own head, I don't know whether I would have even been able to say it. Rabruvi Rubim who was a gaon olam of the first degree, if he says it, it's certainly worth taking note. Rabbi Shlomo and Orbach were back to Eretz role of the late 20th century. Oh, I I didn't intend to make this into a show about Gedolim, but this man was just, I I don't know, there's so many stories one can say. I just want to share just one thing. Uh, In my kolad in 1983, Nechama Leibovitz um, was approached to come and teach in the kolad which was a fantastic opportunity, and I sat with the in the class for six months, f- totally petrified of this very awesome lady, to put it mildly, but what, what a phenomenal pedagogue. Uh, everything about it was just incredible. But the head of the Kola, Raburi Cohen, Shbikazun, is still running the Kola, still in Mavaserit He uh, uh, approached Nechama and she agreed, she's coming to teach in the Kola. The problem was that uh, the, some of the Kola guys were very uncomfortable about it. Because, you know, there's a woman teaching, and uh, uh, with the, could the Rebitons come? Could the Kola wives? It was a whole, whole pasha there. But before we even got to that pasha, the question came up about uh, asking the Chama to come to the Kola. So uh, Raburi was very close to Rishlomo Zaman and and he went to ask him. And Rishlomo Zaman was such a pique, he was such a smart man. And so apolitical. I don't know how he managed to stay out of politics, but he really did. It's unbelievable. And what he said to Raburi was brilliant. He said, he said the following. He said, I know what you want. He said, listen, if you can find somebody better than Nechama Levitz, get, per- get the other guy. Get the other person. Not, I'm giving you, I'm, he's not giving you a header to bring her in. But he's saying, if you can find somebody else who's, who's better than her, bring the other person. Brilliant. They won't have the guys knocking down his door saying, R- R- Zal, you allowed a woman to teach in a cola? They're not going to take, because he didn't say that. What he did say, he answered the question, but in the most clever, smart way that you could ever imagine. And that was Rabbi He was a, a great man. He writes something, again, very interesting. No Hanukkah in the Mishnah. Why? And he says like this, and it's on the page. He said the Greeks wanted to take away our Torah. They wanted to particularly Torah Shabal-peh. So he says, what happened to Hanukkah, it stayed pure Torah Shabalpeh. We know that Torah Shabalpeh means Torah was conveyed by word of mouth. And it was conveyed by word of mouth, it stayed as an oral exercise. We know that Mishnah started writing it down, the famous tradition, because we started forgetting, we couldn't keep all that information in our heads. We had to write the thing down. But Hanukkah, as a principle of what it represented, the preservation of Torah Shabal Peh, it, because of that, it was kept absolutely oral. It was never written down. Certainly not at Mishnaic um, at the time when Mishnah was redacted. Very interesting. Again, a Chiddush Gadol, phenomenal Chiddush. To a certain extent of all the answers that we're going to go through in this particular subject, I like Rosh Mazalman's approach because it, it gets to the heart of Hanukkah. Hanukkah is about being Jewish in the deepest way possible. And, and being Jewish means having this relationship with not only Torah HaBikhtar, but Teresh HaBalpeh. And to keep it purely uh, uh, oral for the, all those years, you know, as opposed to writing it down as a, as a, in the form of Mishnayot, it rings with me. It, it, it has a certain resonance. The sixth answer, and this is the one that really is mind-blowing. Uh, I, I, I don't even know where to start. We're moving back to Hungary. We're going to the Chassan Sofa, Bramosha Sofer, around the year 1820. So we moved back a few hundred years, but we are coming into the, into the courts of the great, great rabbis of the 19th century. And Bramosha Sofer was one of the greats. He says something which is so mind-blowing that I, again, if I hadn't, if, if I didn't have a backup for this, I would never say this in public. But Ramosha Sofa said, I've got someone I can rely on. He says the following. Uh, he said that Rebbe was descended from King David. He, he knew, he knew his yichus uh, and he goes back to, to David Amalek. What is Hanukkah all about? For those three years, a phenomenal achievement of re-establishing, rededicating the Beit Hamikdash and getting rid of the, the uh, stopping as much as you could the influence of the Greeks in Eretz Israel. Fabulous, incredible. However, go 20 years after that story, go into the Book of Maccabees, which is not in the what we call the canon of the Bible. It's in the Svarim Chizonim, and you read the stories, you realize Hanukkah became a big problem. And the problem is that once it, it finished, the makabim who were Khashmarium were Kohanim, they took over leadership, they became kings. And you had kings, Aristobulus, all had Greek names later on, and a lot of a lot of famous names and a lot of lot of uh, famous problems as well. And <laughs> some, some says that unbelievable, right? I suppose to, to imagine there was politics in the Uh, You know, in the early days in in Eretz Israel, maybe it's not so unbelievable. But the fact that he says what he says is truly unbelievable. He said Rebbe tried to preserve the connection to King David in the purest way possible. By giving Hanukkah prominence, he was saying, he was worried, he's giving a Heksha to what Hanukkah represented, which was a breakaway from Jewish tradition, not at the time of the event, but afterwards. Afterwards, what's the breakaway? That Koenim became Malach. It wasn't meant to be. Lo Yoseh shave It says in the passage, Yehudah became the king. And Yuda David Malach and, and eventually, Melech HaMashiach. So if you're having Hanukkah as a Mishnah, but being redacted by Rebbe, he, and this Hassan Sofa suggests, again, as I said, I'm not going to suggest this, but he suggests that Rebbe felt to preserve the family, uh, what's the word? The tradition, the honor, the, uh, the, the, the yichas of the, of the line of David, he kept Hanukkah out of the Mishnah. Wow. I, I'm, I was waiting for lightning and thunder to take place over here, and I was waiting for the ground to open up, because it, it is so so radical to say such a thing, right? To put in the, in the, in the sphere of Judah the Prince any sort of political uh, ideals in terms of writing down the Mishnah. But says Hassam Sofa, that's exactly what happened. It's a well, wow. And you'll see, if you, if you take the page away, I've I, I quoted here, uh, there's an article by Moshe Tzvingneria, the very famous Rosh Hashiv of Kfar um, and also there's somebody in B'nai Barak, uh, Rabbi Yomin Shmuel Hamburger, I'm assuming originally from, from German background, uh, writes uh, about this story, because a lot of people said he couldn't have said it. Khazam couldn't say such a thing. How could he talk about politics in, 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 the, in the mind of, of Rabbeinu Akkadach? The, the, the argument is made very strongly that the tradition of what Khazam Sofa said in this uh, instance has been uh, documented correctly and it's known as the Shit of the Khazam Sofa. I've even got a safer at home. Um, which uh, brings this question and brings one answer to the whole question in the name of Sam sofa. So it's hit, uh, and this came out of B'nai so it even hit uh, B'nai a few years ago. The reality of it is that when we have all of these answers coming together, as I said, we've done a tiul. We've gone from Hungary, we've gone to Eretz Israel, we've gone all over the place. The reality of it is that all of these answers really are challenging, They've moved us, as I said at the beginning, possibly out of what we were comfortable about Hanukkah, because it does raise that question of the aftermath of Hanukkah, which again, as I said, I don't want to go into in too much detail. But the fact is, it's such an interesting sugya. And here comes the kicker. You go to the year 1891. In fact, if you have a, a link on your computer to something called Hebrew Books, they're very easy to remember, HebrewBooks.org. This is a web page that is so mind-blowing, I can't even begin to describe it. There are literally thousands and thousands of books on that web page. It's taken, I think it was, uh, Richard, I don't know whose library it was, I think it was the Bavitcher Rebbe's Lab, the, the, the original, not the, the, the Rebbe who passed away in America, but the, from, from Russia. And these books were photocopied. These were nowadays you would say scanned. I don't know exactly whether it was scanned or what they did. And the books are to be found on this web page. And not only that, but there's there's newspapers, there's there's uh, um, uh, things that came out, uh, different periodicals, of, particularly at the end of the night of the 19th century. And one of those periodicals you can find there is called Hatsafira. And in this periodical, this was a periodical known for the opinions, very controversial opinions of Maskili. People who, many of them went against the, what we would call the basic Jewish tradition, particularly in terms of oral tradition, in terms of rabbinic tradition. Many of them were were, Talmidi Chachamim, no question about it. But they presented ideas which were radical in the extreme. So this gentleman here, I've mentioned, number seven, Chaim Zelik Slonimsky, right? You've never heard of him. I've never heard of him, but that's his name. He wrote an article with the following conclusion. He did kind of a a simple math. He said, Hanukkah's not in the Mishnah, therefore that proves Hanukkah never happened. Whoa, okay. That's what he said. He Incurred a little bit of an upset amongst the, all the rabbinic fraternity, who obviously were reading these these periodicals, because they says it doesn't follow. The fact that it's not in the Mishnah. We can answer according to uh Shlomo Zalmanov, we can answer according to Rabbi Magolius, can answer according to Samsova. We've got all the different answers that you want to bring to explain. But as far as this gentleman Slonimsky was concerned, it's absolute proof Hanukkah, as related, or as we have it, the tradition never took place. And of course, this is very challenging, and Chasver Sholom, again, I only bring it to show you how far this debate went, how far this question pushed itself into traditional Jewish life. It's, it's very, very interesting. Uh, it was rejected and i uh, uh, sure, obviously today we, uh, uh, we, we, we certainly don't uh, take note of this, although there are Rabbonin writings from even today who mention this. They mention the opinion even though the opinion is obviously so radical and so untraditional, it's rejected out of, completely kicked out of court as they say. That's part one. And that's the question, that's the riddle of the enigma of Hanukkah not being in the Mishnah. And as I said, I leave you to read this for yourselves and find, do some more research. There are many, there are many answers, some of them very unusual, and I try to give you a taste, a little, a little uh, forespice. Question number two is the most famous question of Hanukkah that's ever been stated, and that I did hear about in the yeshiva. And that's the question of why we keep Hanukkah for eight days. And everybody I think I hope most people know the question. It's a famous question, it's known as the Yosef's question. Back to Joseph Kari. It always comes back to Yosef Kari, amazing. He said the following He said, look, according to this story, we know they had enough oil for one day. If they have enough oil for one day and it burned for eight days, how long was the miracle actually? Seven days. It wasn't eight days, because the oil lasted one complete day. Right? So you had enough oil for a day. You had uh, the, the Hanukkah, the menorah, burning for eight days. Do your math. Eight minus one. The miracle lasted seven days. We keep Hanukkah eight days. question is, why? Unbelievable, simple question, but this question travels the world. Another to you. I have a safer, Lo- uh, which I bought in London many years ago, from a very significant Tamar who lives there called Eli- Khan. Uh, he found 158 answers to that question, which you're not going to hear tonight. You may hear one or two, but I'm not going through the whole lot. It is, it is it's unbelievable terror on this question. Let's t- talk about maybe the most radical answer. And this might spoil your evening, but, you know, as I said, the comfort zone, the Bor Hashem, I'm trying to move you a little bit out of it. The most radical, if you go to the last page... Uh, <laughs> I suppose you need to know this, even though it might, it might be very upsetting. Um, Megillat Antiochus. If you have, if you came from a Hasidic background, and you have the Sefer where you like the Hanukkah, has got all the, what I call the Hosafo, all the extra things that you say order all the Tehillim, you'll find usually printed in those Sforim is Megillat Antiochus. I have no um, uh, information about where it comes from. I know it's very old. It's, the, it's called Megillat Antiochus. It's the story, the Megillah, as we would call it, of Antiochus, the famous king, who came against uh, uh, the Jews in the Hanukkah story. There's a footnote there, which really, uh, it certainly spoiled my day when I read it, even though it comes from a very, very uh, interesting source. And it's right in the middle of the page, and it's taken from the Sheiltus of Rabbi Gaon. Rabbi Gaon, we've moved to Baghdad, we've moved back to Bovel, about 1,200 years ago. And he says something which is, it just, I don't know. I can't teach this to my grandchildren because they'd, they'd be upset. They really would be upset. He says, you know what? The whole tradition of the oil is wrong. He says, you th- you, we're all told. As kids, I grew up with this. I went to Hebrew school. Enough oil for one day. He says, look in the Sheilta's, look in the tradition over there. Uh, from Rabbi HaGoh, and he says his tradition was there wasn't even enough oil for one day. Whoa. Right? Change, just changed the whole Hanukkah story in, with one strike of the pen. Unbelievable. There wasn't enough oil even for one day. And it's a footnote in the, Mas- in the what is called Megillat Antiochus. But it's there. Have a look. You'll find it brought as a Tzarechion. I think it's a question mark. Of course, that answers our question. Why is Chanukah for eight days? Because if there's not enough oil even for one day, then the miracle lasted for eight days. That's fine. But the concept that we're now going to change the whole story of Hanukkah and say to you that it didn't actually, it wasn't, wasn't oil for one day, but wasn't even enough oil for one day, that maybe is too overwhelming. That's moved you so far out of your comfort zone, I'm not sure what to say. It's like going over the clip, you know, in the original story. So I, I mention it, I, I uh, give it a certain amount of credibility, but I leave you to mull it over. The answer I want to share with you, and I want to talk about a little bit, is from Ruchaim Soloveitchik. We're moving back to Lithuania. Ruchaim Soloveitchik, um, huh, what do you say about Ruchaim? Ruchaim, there's, there's too much to say. Um, my favourite anecdote is a very short one, but there's so many anecdotes. Uh, he was asked a question. Um, I think it was a Shiloh on Yom Kippur. And he was known to be very lenient, uh, allowing people to eat on Yom Kippur, khalim, people who, you know, were in difficult situation. And many people argued with him. And they said to him, Reb Chaim, Reb Chaim you know, you're being very lenient in the laws of Yom Kippur. They, they cr- almost criticized him for it. And he looked at them and he said, and of course he was a great Talmudist and such a brilliant mind. Apparently, Balchester, everything about him was so unique. And he turned around and said, my friend, he said, you missed the point. He says, I'm not, being, I'm not being lenient on the laws of Yom Kippur. He says, I'm being machma, being strict on the laws of Bikur Nefesh. I'm being strict on the fact that if this person is even potentially in a dangerous situation, life and death situation, I've got to allow him to eat. And he saw things from both sides. He would look at a problem and he would look at it literally from all different angles. The story, somebody came to him and wanted a needed stocker before Pesach um, and was prepared to to take milk. I think everyone knows this story. Uh, And he gave um, money, but he gave a lot more money, right, than uh, what the person asked for. And the Rebetzin had complained to Chaim. Chaim, what are you doing? You're giving away all our savings. So he said, look, this Yid came. He wants to use milk for the four cups of wine. wants to take milk. Clearly... He's not any missing wine, he's missing everything else. Right? And the fact is that, you know, typically as, as we normally have a fleshic meal on the Seder, and he wants to do milk, there's something really, really missing in this guy's life. Instead of giving him the, 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 the 20 bucks, he gave him the uh, $200, you know, something equivalent enormous amount of money. And the reality is, this was the greatness of Rabchaim. I had a Rebbe, my Rosh Hashiva, Blav Gurvich, was a Chavrusah with Rabchaim salvation. So I feel connected. Even though we're talking about a Rav who died in 1918, but because this is the the greatness of Torah, that when you've connected with people who've come from that world and had those connections, pre-war connections, you all of a sudden, instead of reading about them in a book, they they came alive. Because when Reb Leib Gurevich, the Rosh Hashanah spoke about Chiddush of Reb Chaim, it was something that he'd heard from him. And when he spoke about Reb Chon Vassam, he sat with him and he learned with him, and, and these men, they may not be alive physically, but they're certainly with us to this day. Everything that they stand for, everything that they represent. And I'm saying all of this because the answer that Reb Chaim gives on the question, why not eight, why seven, why not seven days and, and we keep eight days is so, what I would call, typical Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim says the following, and I'll, I'll explain it. Used to be like this in Israel. I don't know when they stopped. I remember we lived in the 80s. You went to the what we call in England the garage, gas station. And you walked in, or drove in, right? And there, were, there was, was it 95 and 97, all the different numbers of different different uh, petrol that you could get, right? I'm not making that up, right? Now, certainly I know in, in, in England they had it, maybe even in America they used to have it. Different, you know, you had charge and supercharge, and, you know, if you drove a tank, then you would have a different petrol for that. And these are all the different types of gas petrol that, you could want. Nowadays, much easier because it's all 95 over here and I'm glad about that. The reality of it is, says Rebbe Chaim, and it's so beautiful what he says, he says the oil, you know, the story is not the way the shilter said it and I'm glad to say most people don't learn like that. Reality is, the story is the way we've always understood it, that there was enough oil for one day and it burned for eight days. But he said, you've made a mistake about how you understand what happened. It's not that the, an amount of oil burnt in the sense of, of what he calls kamut, in terms of you know, the, the, the amount itself that went down every day. He says what happened was that the echut, he says the quality of the oil changed. It went from what I would say 95, whatever that means, to 98. It went in quality from being regular to being supercharged. So that is the Hanukkah miracle, even on the first day. That the oil not only burned for the eight days, but it became a different quality of oil. Instead of being oil which was something which was regular, it became supercharged, super holy. It became super infused with nace, with with miracle, with everything that we put into it. And of course, this, again, to me, is, is what Reb Chaim was all about, looking at something and seeing the other side of the coin, not seeing it just as a miracle in quality in, excuse me, in quantity, but seeing it as a miracle in quantity, in the quality as well. And that is, is, is to me, the, 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 the most beautiful answer to, to this question. And as I said, there are hundreds of answers. Hanukkah represents a time. When Am Yisrael went from a situation of quantity to quality. At those three years, when they fought for the Beit Mikdash, when they fought for their lives, when Matizio stands up and says, uh, you know, Mi Mocha, Maccabim, etc., everything. When I was in the army, we even marched to the Maccabees songs. It's unbelievable how we could do that, but we did. The reality of it is, the the, 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 the songs, the... The, uh, the, the, the aura of Hanukkah is so powerful because it became a holiday which was based not just on amounts, but it became a holiday of quality. And of course, that, suggests, that follows that, you know, you should use the best quality even today. Try and use olive oil, etc. All of these things become so powerful in the imagery of Hanukkah. And all the other stuff that I've got on the page here, I'll I'll let you look at it because I know we're we're sort of running out of time and uh, the whole famous discussion about whether they divided the oil into eight parts and how can you rely on a miracle, it's all here and I'm not going to go through it because it's well known, but the sources are here and please look at this in your own time. I just want to share with you one final thought because it's it's breathtaking. In London, for many years, one of the Dayonim, uh, was dying um, originally from Vienna called Dian rock my father-in-law was very close to him and we lived in northwest London and he used to walk two hours every Shabbos uh, uh, sh- uh, before Pesach Shabbos HaGadol and Shabbos Chuva to go and hear the drosh of Rab- Rabamgart which was in north London two hours away he was so attached to this man he was so connected he was, he was a short very short guy, really, you know, you saw him, and he was, uh, as the, you know, didn't give that impression, but uh, Aziz a Yid, such a, a, a Tyre Yid, he was a very, very special man. And he said very simply, he said, the greatness of Hanukkah, the rabbi said it, in fact, in the Talmud, the first words when they talk about Hanukkah in the Gemara Shabbat, my Hanukkah, they say, what's Hanukkah? And the answer is, the Tanu Rabbanan, the rabbis taught. Meaning, Chanukah has become such a focus of rabbinic teaching, be it about the discussion we had at the beginning, whether Chanukah should be in the Mishnah or not, be it about this famous question, which I haven't even gone into really, oh, seven days, not eight days, and all the other dinim and minhogim and, 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 you know, uh levivot, hilchas latkes, and all the rest of it, whatever you want to go into. The reality of it is, my Chanukah, what is the greatness of Chanukah, the Tanu Rabbanan, there's so much to learn, there's so much to imbibe, there's so much to, 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 to take on board from all of these wonderful, beautiful ideas. And I want to share with you just one final thought. And as a mechanic' have been doing Chinuch for a long time. Chanukah, the word Chinuch, it's there. You can't avoid it. The same root, education. And the story is that they could have used oil, which was second rate. They could have, you know, the rabbis ask the question, why do they have to go for the shufra? The shufra, as they say? Why do they have to go for the best oil? And it takes eight days to produce it. Could have had the, you know, the oil from... All right, so it wasn't quite good enough, but for the halachi purpose, it would have served the purpose. Why did they go to the best of the best? And the answer is, and this again in Chinuch is so true, that if you really want to get to achieve 100%, you want to create a generation of students. You want to create a generation of people who really relate to what you're saying in in the manner, for instance, of of Rabbi Sachs who's gone around the world and and was so devoted to to, to his ideas and sharing those ideas, you aim for the most perfect uh, score. I'm mentioning the World Cup at the end. I managed to mention it at the end. You're aiming for the most perfect score that you can, the most perfect oil that you could possibly find. And it had to be shufra to shufret the shufret. Shufre. It had to be the most perfect. Because in terms of the educational value of what Hanukkah means, you've got to go for the best. If you want 100, you've got to go for 200. And you won't achieve 200, but you'll certainly, hopefully, get to the 100. If you only aim at 50, then you'll come out with maybe a 25. And that's not good enough. And that means that the oil that they had to get was this special oil and Hanukkah therefore represents the concept of realizing that potential and aiming as high as it goes and that applies to the, all the oil for all the days if you want to make it into a, an answer to the question but I think it's just a, a, a thought for the day to become a mechanic and really get that message across you've got to aim for the highest and if you aim for the highest the, number one the students will know it They'll relate to it, and it will, it will really be felt. Really and I just want to say one, one final word, which I think is really what we've been saying all the way along, how incredible the message of Hanukkah really is. I just want to hold up this picture that many of you have seen before, and this is the picture that gives me the goosebumps. Hanukkah 1931 in Germany. And the background is a Nazi flag. And out of the window, obviously of a Jewish home, this apparently was on Shabbat. Before Shabbat, they lit the candles. The flag is across the road. And that is what Hanukkah is about. At the end of the day, it's about the learning, it's about the tradition, and it's about survival. And we're still around. And those Rishoim are gone. Thank God. There are new Rishoim that we have to deal with. Nebuch, every generation. But the reality of it is, this to me is really what it's, what it's about. That sense of aiming high, of quality and not just quantity. And everything that we've said this evening, that is, it, it, it's so beautiful. I, I, I I'm going to start crying. In a minute. It's, so, it's so beautiful what we're saying. The reality of it is that Hanukkah is a very, very special time. Allow for the donuts. One donut, I suggest, for the older generation, and that's it. Make the most of it. Go to Roladin; They're the best. Don't mess around with anybody else. The reality of it is do what you've got to do, but enjoy and imbibe a little bit of these messages because they are so so beautiful. Thank you and I wish everybody a frailer and a lichtiger, a wonderful special Hanukkah. Thank you so much.